And welcome to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Bart Gregory, Charlie Winfield. Baseball season, now we're in game week mode. The Dogs winning two of three this past weekend out in Arlington. They beat Texas, lost to TCU 3-2, to beat Texas Tech on Monday 11-5. to And then we had a Wednesday night midweek affair with Jackson State, and the Dogs won 7-3. to And, Charlie, just kind of looking back over the first four games of the season, you know, we pitched it so well against Texas, had a, a game that came down to, to one pitch against TCU and you lose, and then come back and win against Texas Tech. I don't think you can really understate without two of your three starting pitchers. Sarantola didn't pitch. Will Bednar did not pitch this past weekend. If you'd have told me that we'd have gone to Texas and had two-thirds of our starting rotation out for the weekend and we'd have won two out of three, man, I'd have taken that all day long. Oh, absolutely. We've talked so many times about how it is that you open a season. And it always makes me nervous opening the season against competition like this. You're working in some new guys. Sometimes you'd like to have a few layup games. But now that you've survived it and you went 2-1 and one in the process and you did it without two of your leading pitchers, boy, you have to feel really good. And the other thing is a lot of guys in this pitching staff now have gotten experience facing big-time hitters in a big-time environment, and that's only going to help us as we go forward. So with Will Bednar not pitching in the second game, we went with Houston Harding who last year against Texas Tech was really good down in Biloxi. He comes out against TCU, gives up an unearned run early in the game. We fall behind early one nothing, and it seemed like we were fighting uphill the entire way. Now, the thing about TCU, we talked about it last week, Russell Smith, that big, tall left-hander, he was just good. And we've got so many left-handed hitters. And that's one thing I want to talk about with this team is just the influx and the number of left-handed hitters. Can too many left-handed hitters – be a problem? It certainly presents an interesting challenge, doesn't it? I suppose if you're facing a right-handed hitter, it's a heck of an opportunity, right? You go back to the ball game we played against Jackson State the other day, what do we have? One right-handed hitter in the order? Yep. You had the switch hitter in Rowdy Jordan, who of course had flipped to the other side, but it does worry me a little bit that when you see a dominant left-handed pitcher, one of those big-time guys, where are we going to find our right-handed bats? And I think that's still a very, very much an open question. And at the end of the day, I mean, if, if your best players, I mean, if your starting nine just happens to be, you know, a bunch of left-handed guys, you, you've got a left-handed hitter and, and Landon Jordan over at third. Drew McGowan drawing the start out in left field for two of the days out in Arlington because you had a big outfield. And plus he's come on well, hitting the ball well of late. So at the end of the day – it's going to be one of those struggles. Charlie, here's the thing about left-handed hitters against left-handed pitchers. It's that old thought process of lefties have worse times with spin against left-handed pitchers. And we're going to talk about spin, breaking ball, curveballs, that a right-handed hitter has against a right-handed pitcher. And what are, what's the reason in that? Is it because you just don't see as many left-handed pitchers? What is it that about 10% of our population is left-handed? And if you go up all the way through Little Leagues to travel ball, when you face that big-time lefty, that's kind of a rare thing, isn't it? Yeah. In Little League, you just don't see that many left-handed guys. I think part of it's just doing it. There's something about that left-handed swing, too, that loves an inside, kind of that low pitch. And I think sometimes you just, with that spin, have trouble just getting your bat on top of it. Especially on the outside. You work outside, left-handed pitcher to left-handed batter, 
it always seems, especially with spin, that the left-handed hitter has a tough time getting down there to get that pitch. Yeah, it's just tough for some reason to get the barrel to that spot. So looking back at that game, and you see TCU taking a lead, one to nothing after the first. Then you get to the sixth inning, the Horn Frogs take a two nothing lead. We get a run back in the bottom of the sixth. They add a run to it, which was big. They add a run to it in the seventh inning. We get a run in the ninth. Had the bases loaded and one out, and you've got Drew McGowan at the plate. You know, DeBruyne walked to load the bases, and the one thing you don't want to happen happened. That hard hit ball to the right side, second baseman makes the play, and and it's a ball game on a double play. That was the worst thing that could possibly have happened. But if you're Chris Lamonis, what do you want Drew McGowan? You got the winning run at second base. I mean, you can walk this thing off. If that ball gets through, you win the game. Yeah, if that ball's four feet to the left or right, then McGowan's a hero for giving us a win. That's Baseball can be so maliciously beautiful. It's a great game. But sometimes you can do everything basically right, and it doesn't work out. Well, and talk about Cameron James. I mean, you look at the weekend that he had. He had one hit on the weekend. He hit some balls hard, hit a, a rocket shot to the third baseman against Texas. But the only hit he had all weekend was a little bloop handle job down the right field side. It just falls in for a hit. That's just a – don't say it. Don't don't say the, the Ron Polk adage. That's baseball. It's, that's, it, it is. It is. But then to come back the next day, I thought Texas Tech, and of course the SEC went 8-1 and one this past weekend against the Big 12, and that only loss was us to TCU. I thought Texas Tech, they lost all three games, but they've got the pieces. And the ability to come back and win that third game, it really, that's the difference in how you feel from the weekend. And I think the thing for Texas Tech is that's a team that's going to hit the ball. They're going to score a lot of runs, particularly playing out in West Texas. That ball's going to fly. I thought our pitching in that game, I guess you may call effectively wild, right? You know, you get the start for Jackson Fristo, and he walks three, plunks a couple, but doesn't give up a run. He gets through it. Bad news is you put a lot of guys on base. Good news is you survived putting a lot of guys on base, and you you got through it. And, look, when you're talking about going down your depth chart for starting pitchers, look, survive and move to the next inning. Absolutely. That's that uh, effective Epic Calvin. That's what I call that Epic Calvin Lelouch outing. Oh, absolutely. That little reference from Bull Durham. So, we come back on Wednesday night. We had that Tuesday game postponed against Jackson State. We come back Wednesday, used a bunch of pitchers in that game. I thought everybody pitched well. We, we had some overpowering guys, took an early 3 nothing lead. You know, Jackson State, they pitched, you know, Gallatas is one of their big-time guys. I mean, he, he is their guy. Yeah. And, and, and he well, was really good. He, here's the thing about Jackson State the other night. They threw strikes. Yeah, and if you look at Gallatas, that's a guy who went to Cal State Fullerton and – Pitched really well. He went down to the University of Miami a couple of years ago. Pitched four innings, doesn't allow a run. He went like eight and a third innings in their opener against Southern Illinois last year. This is a he's a good pitcher. I wasn't. I hate to call that game boring, but at times it was. It was a little boring, other than just the excitement of being back in the building. But if you look at it. Overall, I thought you got a few things that you needed to have. You had Tanner Allen pick up a couple of hits. He didn't hit great in the opening weekend. You had Cameron James go four for five. As you mentioned, he had only one hit. To me, midweek is about two things, getting your hitters feeling a little better and getting your pitchers innings. And if you look at what we did on the mound, overall you have to feel pretty good. I was really excited to see Brandon Smith come out and 
it's not that he threw two scoreless, didn't allow a runner. It's the way he just dominated the strike zone. Yeah, Davis Rokos was good, too. We used seven pitchers in that game, and, and two hit Jackson State. Now, Jackson State got got the benefit of a Ooh, boy. couple times in there. You know, they they got some uh, got some errors. That was a tough play by Hatcher and a real tough play on a ball back to the middle. But we win 7-3. to three. So that's a look back at last week, and that kind of sets up the weekend as Mississippi State will take on the green wave of Tulane. But first, before we talk about Tulane, we're going to talk to Ben Jenkins, who founded Warstick. If you go into Dick Sporting Goods or you look in big league baseball, you see guys swinging the bone sabers and all these Warstick bats. So it was started by a Mississippi State guy. He partnered with Ian Kinsler and Jack White, who used to be with the White Stripes, the singer, and they've got this real cool brand of war stick, but it's all started, and it's kind of interesting how Mississippi State really played a big part in that, and so we'll talk to Ben Jenkins when we come back. Of course, we're brought to you by Farm Bureau. Go with the home team, Farm Bureau. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi and the best service, and I'll tell you what, after last week with the, the power outages and then you had all the ice, a lot of people had some damage to their house, and I'll tell you what, that's when you need the great service of Farm Bureau. So go with the home team. When we come back, we'll talk to Ben Jenkins of Warstick right after this on Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Yeah, welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Time now for our guest line segment, brought to you each week by our friends at Heartland Catfish. Heartland producing the best American-raised catfish over in the Mississippi Delta and Itabina, and they service some great restaurants around the southeast. Of course, you can pick them up at your local grocer, get the big pack if you want to have a big fish fry, but also places like Jerry's Fish House. Jerry's Catfish House is the big igloo on Highway 49, we talk about country pleasing all the time. It's right next door to country pleasing just north. This is a big igloo. It's on the east side of Highway 49. And so Jerry's Catfish House, the best catfish in the state of Mississippi. So go by and check out Jerry's Catfish and get that great Heartland Catfish. And let's go to the guest line where former Mississippi State player Ben Jenkins joins us, played in Starkville back in the mid-1990s, a native of Dallas, Texas, and moving back out to Dallas. And, Ben, we appreciate you joining us. I know it was a, a busy weekend out for you guys having Mississippi State in town this past weekend. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. I really appreciate it. I'm connecting with anything I can do to state. Uh, I live in Texas, so, you know, I don't get nearly the state love that, I, that I'd like to get. And so it was really cool for the Bulldogs to come to Dallas. Pretty rare getting to see them play in that big stadium. It was really fun seeing Coach Polk, seeing Jim, El- Jim Ellis and all the guys. And seeing the dogs play, man, they looked really good. So it was cool to see my I have young sons. Uh, well, not young. They're 17 and uh, 15 and 13. So they're right in, their, you know, right in the heat of their high school baseball and all that. So it was really cool for them to see the dogs play in person. So you were here in the mid-'90s. I guess your last year would have been 96. So that, that last uh, – yeah. That last year yeah. you played, I guess your last game was that crazy game out in Stanford, that 20-19 to 19 game with David yeah. David Heyman and had the hit yeah. to shortstop. You guys kind of yeah. you know, put it together in that 96 season to get back to the NCAA regional. Do, do you keep up with any any of those guys? I know Eric DeBose on those teams, David Heyman. Oh, so, yeah. And uh, just didn't know if absolutely. you, being in Dallas, had a chance to do that. Yeah, absolutely. We actually have a little, we have a little uh, text message group. I call it Old Dog Friends. And uh, so I got, see, me, Brad, Brad Freeman's on there, Rusty Tom, 
uh, Eric DuBose. Um, man, there's seven or eight guys on there, all from that uh, that 96-97 era. It's very patent. So I, I get that, you know. Um, there's a couple guys around. Blake Anderson lives here in Dallas. Uh, Ricky Joe Red lives here in Dallas. I like to tell those younger kids that that 96 season was us older guys building the, building the foundation for those guys to set it up on a tee for them. It was kind of a nice, it had been a couple of years before he had been to the regionals. And so getting just getting back to the regionals that year was a big step. And it was a lot of fun. And never going to beat those days, man. Just, it's a fun time. You know, when I hear the name Ben Jenkins, I think of Mississippi State shortstop. My son thinks, hey, that's the bat guy. That's the guy that started the bad company. Tell us, um, I know. you know, so, uh, so this older guys think of you as a baseball player. My son thinks of you as a designer, an artist, bat mogul, yeah. all these things. So it's, it's an amazing yeah. story, but, and I've actually been, uh, to your facility there in deep Ellum in Dallas. How do oh, you wow. go from being a shortstop at Mississippi state to, designing baseball bats that now are being used in major leagues all the way down to travel ball in youth leagues? Well, the, the short version of that is actually if I had never gone to Mississippi State, I wouldn't be doing anything I'm doing today in any regard. Um, I went there to play baseball, but what most actually with Coach Polk knows really well was I grew up an artist drawing and painting, and I actually went to Mississippi State to play to be in architecture school as well as baseball. And the only other person that did that was Rafael Palmero. And they kicked both of us out of the architecture program because we played too much baseball and you just can't do those things. So I went to the art department and it was the closest thing I could figure out. And I was just lucky, man. Uh, Brett Thunderbird, who just retired, and Jamie Mixon, who I really owe my whole career to, said, hey, you've got some skills here that, you know, you can develop it. No, no different than baseball. You've got some raw talent, but you got to develop it. And they gave me a lot of encouragement. And at so Mississippi State, I, I discovered what graphic design was. And that was it, man. I was kind of, I, I kind of knew instantly that that is something that should baseball not work out, which I knew probably wouldn't like everybody else. I had something I really enjoyed doing and that's where I found it. And, um, you know, for man, a good 15 years from that point, I focused on it and I worked for clients like, uh, Nikona baseball. And I mean, you name it. And my job was to, help build brands, help figure out what a company's called and what they're named and then figure out the identity of that. So I got a lot, I got 15 years of practice kind of doing this. And then about 15 years into it, I said, Hey, I think I want to do my own kind of brand just more as a creative outlet. And one thing I knew was the best brands are always run by people that are really passionate about what they do. And I, I knew that baseball might be a good thing to focus on and uh, started kind of experimenting with it. And, you know, just figured it out. Treated it like a client project, but I was the client. Decided baseball bats would be a cool, fun thing to try to figure out. And just grinded through it, man. And that was, you know, with not a lot of expectation of this. Let's see if we can get stuff going here for fun. And then I kind of had it as a hobby business with the family for three or four years until I realized, hey, this actually could be a legit thing. And uh, then I kind of turned, turned my focus really heavy on it. Got some investors like Ian Kinsler our business partner named Jack White, who actually knows all about Mississippi State and loves baseball. And, you know, then the last four years was a blur, man. It just never worked out, worked as hard as I can, I can imagine. And it's, it's just doing really great. It's one of the legit five or six baseball brands you will see in the big sporting goods and stuff like that. And just super blessed, man, because it's a big creative project for me. And so many ex-baseball players, buddies of mine, initially supported it, you know, and just 
encouraged me to keep doing it and it paid off. So that's the lot. That's the short story. Talking with Ben Jenkins, Ben, you know, I'm a guy, I like to, I like to do woodworking and that's the way, you know, I, I go out yeah. in the shop and when you get away from the ball games and, and work with my son, when you look back at how you got started with baseball bats, was it more the wood? Was it a guy working on a lathe and trying to figure it out? That's me. I'm working on yeah. a turkey call or a duck call. Was it you know working in the no. wood side or was it working on the metal bat side? Well, it's probably, for me, it's neither. And actually, what you what you described is actually pretty common. A lot of guys are just that craftsman type of guy. And it is. That's that working in the shop, working the wood. I'm a designer, so what I'm really into is figuring out what things are, like what they look like, how they're designed. And I love working with a craftsman like you're describing, who would on the other end, you know, bring that to life. And so for me, it was always about the design. And that's really what, you know, Ward Dick got on the map about was we took a simple thing, like a wood bat, and we managed to make it really interesting, more interesting looking without overdoing it, you know. And so... You know, that was why I did it is in baseball and sporting goods in general, there's just kind of a lack of, you know, everybody kind of looks the same and talks the same and, and everything that is not different. And, and, and that's what I knew that I might be able to bring, bring to it. And what I, what my problem in baseball was, was I was perfect. That's not what you want to be at all. Design, I can be a perfectionist and I can just kind of grind on something until I really feel like it's right. And, you know, so. That's kind of what I did. It's all about design for me. One of the greatest hitters of the generation, Miguel Cabrera, uses your bats. Yep. Kevin Pillar. You obviously had Ian Kinsler. We talked about Justin Upton, Matt Kemp, Brent Rooker, Jake Mangum. Yeah. Yep. It seems to me that it had to be very difficult, number one, to ever get at the, a seat at the table, so to speak, in the bat business. And beyond that, yep. to get these guys – look – Cabrera is not going to use a bat if it doesn't make him better or, or make him think it makes it better. It's not like a you can just go pay one of these guys to use your stuff. How do you go about when you meet these guys designing a bat for them and convincing them and showing them that this will make them a better hitter? Well, I, I'm not going to tell even a 10-year-old that our bat is going to make them a better hitter. Our tagline is not the weapon, it's the warrior. So our cue to them is they, that really actually freaks people out of it. We're actually saying, hey, look, our bats, you know, baseball bats, whether it's wood or metal, they're not magic. and They can't be magic. Otherwise, they'd be illegal, right? And these guys understand that, but there's a difference between that and are they performing up to the highest level possible. So really what you have to prove is that they, they, high, they perform at the highest level. Well, you know, when I brought Ian Kindler in here, when he was gracious enough to come in here, and become a business partner. You know, he took that bat into the major leagues in 2016 and proceeded to hit 28 home runs, I think. It's 288, had his, really his best year ever statistically. And he basically just showed that it worked, right? And that was a huge step for us and a huge gift from him because that's a lot of pressure to go out there with a baseball bat that are part of and to perform. So that, that was a huge step for us. And then with these guys, what they really... These guys know that, you know, Rooker, Mangum, Miggy especially, they understand that no wood bat is magic, but if they feel like it performs, then it's, well, what else you got? And they really just like the brand. They like the mentality. They like the warrior battle mentality that we bring to things. And, you know, Jake Mangum probably relates to that as much as anybody. I mean, y'all know Jake so well and watch him play, and it's like a really simple mindset. 
and I'm not going to cuss on the radio, but he's like, I'm going to come beat your butt. Like, that's what Jake Mangum's about. And and really, that's what the Warstick mentality is about. That's what Ian's about. Miguel Cabrera. I mean, what I love about Miggy is we're sitting here in an era of how hard can you throw and how far can you hit the ball, and it's getting pretty boring. And Miggy can do that, but, but Miggy's a, he's a professional hitter. He's going to, if there's a guy on third base, if he can get a single and beat you, he's going to do it. And we try to preach that mentality as well. So, you know, these guys just, we, we see, we're looking for players that we see ourselves in, in our mentality. And that's why, you know, like I said, Jake, Jake is so awesome. Rooker is amazing. I mean, all these guys. So, it, it, otherwise, man, it just took a long time, man. It, it's like trying to make it in baseball. You got to start and, got to start as a kid and get to high school and then you get to college and you're just trying to keep going to the next step and it's been a long grind of doing that and proving it along the way. We're talking with Ben Jenkins, the founder of Warstick. The, it started out as a bat company. Now it's morphed into a lot of different things when you start looking at the different lines. Yeah. And talking about Jack White a minute ago, Charlie, I saw the White Stripes at the Hump a few years ago, or it's been several years ago yeah. now. And how, first of all, yeah. before we get into you know travel ball, you know, travel ball's changed so much now, but how do you get a guy – how does a guy like Jack White, who's a musician, <laughs> say, you know what, I want to jump into the bat business? Well, you're not going to believe this story, but when you saw him at the hump, I think maybe that night or that next day or before the concert, he, I think it was during fall practice for baseball, and he loves baseball, I mean, he just does. So he and his tour manager got wind of that, and they went and sat in the stands and watched the scrimmage. Well, I saw a picture of He took a picture with the team and everything, and um, this was maybe two years before I even met him. And I don't know, it was kind of this weird, like, and I was a big fan, like so many people. Man, fate just intervened. I met Ian at the time he was playing for the Tigers. Well, Jack is a massive Tigers fan, going back from you know being a little kid. And he kind of hangs out with the Tigers in the way that like Eddie Vedder hangs out with the Cubs. And so Ian was kind of asking me, like, well, what kind of other business partners do you need? And I was like, well, something different, fun, and you know, just I don't, I only need one major league player, not seven. You know, he said, well, what's what's cool about Warstick? And I was like, man, I can't tell you. It's just, we, we just got a different feel. And, and then I said, you know, like Jack White reached out to us the other day, which about two weeks before I met Ian, he's reached out because he loves also design. And I think he found us online and just inquired about doing some cool stuff or people did. And, um, I mentioned that to Ian and Ian said, Hey, I, I know Jack kind of a little bit. And I was like, no way, man, that's crazy. And anyway, Ian said, why don't we make him the big investor? And I was like, we kind of laughed at each other and looked, and then, you know, kind of this moment of like, well, why not? I mean, and that's Warstick, too. It's like, you don't ask, you don't get. And we had no sense that he would actually respond and be interested. Well, the next day, Ian called and said, hey, I emailed Jack. He wants to meet us in Nashville next week. Do you want to go? And I was like, what time? And then it's just, the rest is, that it? You know, we we met. It was like we'd known each other forever, all three of us. And it's just been, they're incredibly gifted people who super motivate me every day and they're super supportive and, and they're just great partners, man. And, and they've provided, they make, they make Warstick interesting, you know. Um, Ian kind of represents the professional performance side and Jack represents, you know, kind of crazy, out of this world creativity. And I wake up every day just chasing those two guys and trying to keep up and it's just really working, you know. So, but I can't say, again, it's the weirdest thing, but Mississippi State had a part in that, a little bitty part that I don't think it makes you think, huh? And so that's 
it's kind of funny that you went to that concert because that's that's kind of part of the little story there. You know, it's interesting. Bart and I actually have a dream that one day the ticket in Dallas is going to discover <laughs> us and hire us. And I think just by oh, random man. chance, That'd probably. Be- yeah, so I think yeah. it's probably, geez, probably been four or five years ago. I happened to catch driving home because we both listened through our telephones. Mike mm-hmm. Reiner, and I think visiting yeah. with Jack White and maybe you, but I was really yeah. struck at what a base. He is a true baseball guy. He's a. Yeah, actually, the, the ticket is, again, think about it. Like, it's a sports radio station who doesn't talk sports all the time, and if they don't talk about sports, they're probably talking about music, especially Mike Ryder and Corby Davidson. So Corby happens to live in my neighborhood and got wind of war stick and was like, wait, your partner's with Jack White? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, well, do you think he'd ever come on the radio? And I was like, if he's not talking about music, he would. If he wants to talk about baseball, then maybe he would. And then he did it, and it was great. And so I describe Jack as Jack knows more about baseball from a historical standpoint, from that you know that side of baseball that gets into the strange, obscure stories of baseball. And he just loves the he loves the art of baseball, and he loves the, the history. And he keeps up with the game. He finds it, you know, watching it. He's had a stressful life, like a lot of people. I mean, being who he is is not the most stress-free thing. And he found that just watching a baseball game was just a great way to relax. He started really getting into it, and he, he sincerely loved it. Probably, honestly, more than Ian and I, which is crazy. But he just hasn't been spoiled by the, the grind of baseball that he had to go through. And he's like a little kid watching baseball. And so, uh, you know, we'll go to games together. We all watch baseball together and text each other like, wow, did you see that? And, you know, of course, watching our other business partner actually play for the last four years and then win a World Series was just it's fun. It's a weird thing. Like our business partner's playing in the Red Sox game and trying to win the World Series right now. And we're nervous parents, nervous big brothers, you know. So. Talking with Ben Jenkins, the founder of Warstick. And Ben, before we let you go, you know, what started in bats yeah. is now kind of morphed into a lot of different things. And once you have success, yeah. people are probably coming from every different direction saying, hey, why don't you try this? Why don't you try that? And now you guys have gotten yep. into to angling. You've got a relationship with Mossy Oak as far as their bottom land product. Yep. And how do you decide of what direction you want to go and, and what's been popular for you guys as you begin to build that brand? Man, that's a great question. I actually really appreciate you uh, actually looking into it to know what's going on these days and where we're going. And, yeah, so there's a, you know, a term in business would be you got to watch out for shiny optics all the time because brands tend to get bigger. And then they tend to get into dumb things. And I know that more than anybody because I worked with clients for 15 years. So, first of all, I'm real wide. I'm eyes wide open to shiny objects and being very cautious. But at the same time, I mean, I have always believed that if I would have been uh, a mediocre hockey player, minor league hockey player, like from a name perspective, four sticks could have been a hockey stick from the get go, even with the mentality. Or if I was a lacrosse player. And so I've had in my mind for a long time that if we succeed and build a formula in baseball that works and learn how to do this business and learn how to market things and learn how to, you know, learn how to run the business, that we could slowly start looking into things that we also enjoy. And so lacrosse is the fastest growing sport in America and a lacrosse stick isn't a super complex thing to make. So we've got that. Hockey sticks are coming. Fast pitch softball, man, I couldn't be more excited to be into that and work with these girls who uh, no offense, but probably play harder than the boys these days, man. If you ever watch a fast pitch game, I love the 
I love the intensity of the soft, of the fast pitch game. And so we've got some bats over over with the, the dogs. I'm hoping that maybe next year they'd be allowed to use them. But, you know, the other side of it is more six about, you know, teaching a kid that to be a, a master of something, you actually have to kind of stand back from it a little bit too. You can't just grind on it every single day. And so we really promote through our youth audience to get outside, to get into fishing or surfing or skiing or snowboarding. And those are all the things I love to do. I'm completely obsessed with fly fishing. So I'm, I'm honestly glad I'm just making the things that I love to do. And we're slowly getting those on the market and we'll kind of see what really takes, you know, and if you think about it, you know, 80 years ago when, you know, these old school, old school sporting brands used to make all kinds of things. I'm not going to name names and help them out here, but it's not that weird to me. And I think what we do is we make sticks for warriors. And so if it's a stick for a sport, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a shot, man, and try to make the best one I can for that sport. So like hunting arrows, man, I cannot wait. Jake Mangum, Gordon Beckham from that played at Georgia and the SEC. They're going to be some of my hunting arrow uh, ambassadors, and we're going to do some stuff with Monty Oak, and those guys are super supportive. And there's, there's just a lot of crossover, man, between these things. You know, you, none of these weapons, as we call them, work unless you get your mind right and you figure out how to do it. And so I'm just having fun with, with these new things, but I'm absolutely wake up every day going, hey, we built this in baseball. We got to keep pushing in baseball. We got to, you can't just think that it's going to run itself. So we'll see. Hopefully I'm not crazy, but we'll see where, we'll, we'll talk again in 10 years and see where I am. What's going on with it? That's awesome. Ben Jenkins, founder of Warstick. Charlie, I actually got online today, bought Sims at Bottom uh-huh. Land 2919. Got that drop 10. Got, oh, yeah. You got U SA, yeah. you got BB Core, a lot of oh, different man. bats. And so, man, I can't wait to, oh, to see sure. him swing it this weekend. So, hey, Ben, great yeah. to talk with you. And, uh, hey, proud um, for you, proud of you, man. I'm, I'm super proud as well and always honored that anybody from Mississippi State would even talk to me. So I super appreciate it. And, and hopefully, I just can't wait to, you know, part of the motivation is, man, I, I can get this thing going and really get back to the school and the people that really gave me so much, you know, motivation back in the day. So that's the goal, too. So I appreciate you reaching out and being interested, man. And I just, I'll, we'll be we'll be watching. Ben Jenkins of Warstick, my goodness, starting an empire over in Dallas. He came from Dallas. He played a year at Oklahoma before coming to Mississippi State. Spent three years here, and well, Ben has done a great job of building that brand of Warstick over in the Dallas area. It's really big time. Good stuff. Always good to talk to Ben. And when we come back, we'll take a look at this weekend's opponent, the Tulane Green Wave, as they come in here to start. Well, and of course, that conversation with Ben Jenkins brought to you by our friends at Heartland Catfish. And go check them out and get that great catfish this weekend at Jerry's Catfish House down in Florence. Back with more on Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Welcome back to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau. Well, Charlie, that was good stuff with Ben. It's, it's amazing, man, when you start talking about building a brand and trying to branch out. And they've got arrows coming with, with bow and arrows, and they do fishing and all kind of stuff. And That thing is, is pretty awesome about what they're doing out in Texas right now. When we talk about Mississippi State baseball and success in the game following the time you're here, we tend to think about guys who go on to play in the big leagues. But that's a guy who's having an impact on the sport all the way down to youth baseball. 
he's a guy that Mississippi State should be very proud of to have as a graduate. No doubt. And uh, just what they've been able to do as far as building that with with Ian Kinsler and Jack White. I mean, Bryce Harper was swinging a bat, one of those colored bats, Josh Donaldson. and I mean, you start looking around the big leagues, there's a lot of guys. You talk about Miguel Cabrera, but that was good stuff from Ben Jenkins talking about the kind of founding war stick over in Texas. Okay, Charlie, let's take a look at this weekend's opponent. This is brought to you by Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, located on Highway 49 down in Florence, just past uh, Jerry's Catfish House. But they have the best sausage known amount of Country Pleasing. It's amazing how that brand continues to grow. They're in the ballpark now at Duty Noble. they got a sign out in right field. And, man, I tell you, it's amazing. You talk about things you're proud of as a Mississippian to see how Small businesses grow. Well, Country Pleasing is one of those great success stories of good things happening to good people. So Country Pleasing Sausage, check them out at your local grocer. All right, this weekend, Tulane Green Wave. Charlie, when the schedule came out, this was kind of the weekend that I looked at and said, hey, we get the three games away out at Arlington. Now you kind of jump in. This is almost going to be like an SEC weekend. It is. I think Tulane – although the name may not strike fear to Mississippi State fans, particularly given the fact we just haven't played. These are two teams haven't played in quite a long time and didn't play that much unless you go back to the, the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Even then, we bumped into them a couple of times. But the thing about Tulane is they're going to pitch it well. And if you can come through this weekend and put a lot of runs on the board, you're going to be able to feel really good. You're going to see a big-time right-hander. We've talked about him in prior shows in this ballgame, Braden Oltoff. He is a guy who can run it up there. He's got a four-pitch mix. He doesn't walk people. If you go back to last year as an example, he had 47 strikeouts to three walks in 28 innings. He is a guy who's going to pound the zone, but he's going to have a mix. And the thing that Oltoff does, and this is what goes back to something we talked about in the importance early in the season, as the game goes on, he starts to beat you with pitches out of the zone. He gets a lot of chase on balls outside the zone. And so what do we talk about? Plate discipline, strike zone discipline, so tough early in the year, the Bulldogs are going to have to have it. And that was kind of surprising how Ty Madden for Texas went about approaching us last week in the first game. So many times you see guys establish fastballs early and then try to get you with breaking stuff that second and third time through the order. And that's typically what Oltoff's going to do. You know, Madden went with breaking ball early, realized he didn't have control. We didn't swing at those pitches. And then all of a sudden he's kind of fighting from behind. Oltoff is that big power righty from California. And that's another thing we don't really think of a whole lot. When you start looking at Lafayette, Louisiana Lafayette, when you start looking at Louisiana Monroe or Louisiana Tech or LSU for that matter, and I know LSU's a national brand, those teams primarily recruit the state of Louisiana. They may go into Mississippi some or come into Mississippi some with their junior college talent. Tulane is a brand, national brand. When you start looking at their roster, They've got four guys from California, seven guys from Florida. They only have seven from Louisiana. They've got guys from all over the country that come in to Tulane. Great private school in the city of New Orleans. And so they recruit nationally down at Tulane. But, yeah, you start talking about the pitchers. Oltoff just throws strikes. He's going to try to beat you with his fastball early. And he's one of those guys that gets better as innings four through six come along. You know, when I look back at this weekend, you know, they played three against Louisiana Lafayette down at Tulane. There were only 20 games in Division I baseball this past weekend that went extra innings. 
but all three of their games, they were three of the 20. Three, all three of their games went extra innings against Louisiana Lafayette. Lafayette's supposed to be really good this year. We'll see them later this year in the midweek. And then they beat New Orleans in the midweek on Tuesday night. So this is a two-lane team that is built on pitching, and that really scares you a good bit because it's not just Oltoff. You know, after Oltoff, you've got Benoit, who's their two guy. Now, he was roughed up a little bit against Louisiana Lafayette. Lafayette got to him for four, uh, three runs in the fourth inning. And then the, their Sunday guy is going to be Jack Aldrich, who really pitched well against Lafayette, went seven innings, gave up four runs on eight hits. And so they, they've got a really – it's not just Oltoff. I mean, they've got a pretty good staff. Yeah, and Benoit is going to be interesting. He's a guy who actually started out at Tennessee, ultimately made his way through junior college and then back to Tulane. He's a big guy, 6'4". He's a guy that's going to throw it up there, 96, 97. Where have we heard this before? Big, tall, right-hander, can't always throw strikes. So that's going to be part of the key uh, with Benoit, again, is to take the free passes because he's known to give them up. And then Aldrich, the lefty, is going to be their Sunday guy. We talked about lefties in the open. What sort of trouble does that give us? He is not an overpowering guy. He's going to be a high 80s pitcher but he has a cutter that can really get in on your hands. And so it's going to be interesting to see how Mississippi State is able to attack him. Tulane has struck out at the plate 41 times in four games. This is a team that has struck out offensively. They started their season with Logan Stevens in the cleanup spot. They've had to drop him down in the order. He has seven strikeouts already. So Tulane at the plate, what are you looking for the, for the green wave against our pitching? Here's the thing. We're going to try it out Christian McLeod. We talk about left-handed hitters against left-handed pitching. Tulane has had its troubles against left-handed pitching so far this year. Small sample size, but if there is one thing that they struggled with in this opening weekend, it was getting left-handed hitters out as pitchers. So that's good news for us. Real good news. Then the other thing they've struggled with is hitting lefties. They just have did not hit them well. I think they had only three hits against left-handed pitching and had a ton of weak contact against it in the opening weekend. Yeah, against left-handed pitching, they were three for 30. Three for 30. Hitting an even 100 as a team against left-handed pitching. Now against righties, they hit 285. They had 123 at-bats against right-handed pitching in the first four games. Got 35 hits in those. But like you said, the kryptonite so far – has been three for 30 against the left-handed pitching. Now, what left-handed pitching did you see? That's that's another thing as well. So, Charlie, we just haven't played Tulane a whole lot, which is amazing. When you start looking at the series history, we've played them a bunch of times, over 100 times, but we haven't played them in 23 years. 1998 was the last time we played them. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, you know, a little side note, by the way, we have a squabble over the 1948 SEC championship with Tulane. Uh, I think we need a square off before <laughs> first pitch. That. So Mississippi State beat Auburn to decide the 1948 championship. Tulane was not in that decisive series because they didn't have enough games. But if you go check out their numbers, they claim an SEC champion. A lot of people forget Tulane was an original SEC member. Yeah, they were an SEC member for a while now. You talk about bad decisions, that was a bad decision. They left at the end of 1966. If they could only look back now. Oh, boy. Think uh, that was a revenue difference? My goodness. Well, hey, you, another thing you look at, how many times do you talk about you know, LSU being the, the only school in the state of Louisiana, getting everything you know, pushed toward them to play in the SEC? You kind of wonder what that would have done to LSU had Tulane stayed in the SEC. Kind of breaks it up a little bit. 
Yeah, might have given us our version of Vanderbilt in the West. Absolutely. <laughs> Make things a little bit easier in uh, football. <laughs> Wouldn't have had Missouri. That's right. <laughs> so Tulane this weekend, Charlie and I will come back and we'll talk more about the week to come for Mississippi State baseball as the Bulldogs take on the green wave of Tulane this weekend. It should be a great series. I hope we can uh, dodge some weather. We, we've got uh, rain in the Startwell area on Friday. Sunday does not look great at all, but hopefully we can squeeze in three games here this weekend. Doubleheader. W- with the green wave of Tulane. Man, a lot, I know it's great for fans. It's not great for broadcasters. But, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll su- I will suffer for the greater good. There we go. Absolutely. And that look at Tulane brought to you by our friends at Country Pleasing Sausage. Country Pleasing, just the best sausage you can possibly have and it's at the ballpark now at duty noble field they've got that pineapple and pork they put a little a little hot slaw a little spicy slaw on top of it you can get it with or without the slaw but it's, hey, it's big time stuff country pleasing sausage from country meat packers down in florence mississippi charlie and i'll be back with a final word here on out of left field presented by farm bureau Hey, welcome back. Final segment of Out of Left Field presented by Farm Bureau. Farm Bureau, go with a home team. Check them out at favorites.com. They have agents in every county in the state of Mississippi. The best service and the best rates around. Go to favorites.com at Farm Bureau. Charlie, okay, final word. Let's talk about this weekend. What do you want to see? What's the, the things you want to see answered this weekend as State takes on Tulane? Well, the first thing I want to see is games played. I think we're going to get around the weather at least today, I feel pretty good about where we are for a Friday night game. Saturday looks good. It's going to be wet. Field's going to be wet. So what's one of the things you want to do in a wet field? you got to field it cleanly. It's going to be some reasonably tough conditions in the outfield. But if you field it cleanly, feel pretty good there. Here's the thing. I don't want our pitchers to beat themselves. I want to see guys come out, be efficient, throw strikes, let guys play defense behind them. If you look back to that weekend, if you start talking about pitching – and you saw it a little bit on Wednesday night. The walks have been a big key. Against Texas Tech, the walks and hit batsmen were really big. It didn't hurt you as bad. You had some some fielding errors and inability to throw strikes against TCU in that second game. A lot of that you can, can probably attribute to opening weekend jitters, big ballpark, major league ballpark. But now you kind of want to see those guys – kind of lock in and settle in a little bit more this weekend. Yeah, absolutely. If you go back, I think I would say in this opening weekend, we fielded it okay. It was that TCU game, though. Look, you have a bad throw from the catcher that gets out into left field. You have an error at short. But for those two, you probably win the game. Yes. But, look, if you go back and you look at it in context, the whole series, fielded it okay. I mean, feel pretty good about where you are. And, look, that's not something Logan Tanner is going to do every week. He's going to be just fine back there he's going to be a plus defensive catcher for us so then what does it come down to the place where we really flirted with danger at times was just not throwing strikes hitting guys and that's the thing I really want to see get cleaned up okay so now this weekend to kind of piggyback off of that Eric Sarantola going to get his first start. They've moved him up in the rotation to the game two starter instead of game three did not pitch last weekend so what are you looking for out of Eric Sarantola? I want to see him own the position. I want to see him own that spot. All SEC games weight equally at the record at the end of the year. 
But I think he needs to view this a little bit like a promotion. He's been the Sunday guy. And if you're going to be a big-time draft prospect the way he is, I want to see him take ownership. I want to see him take the mound with confidence. And I want to see him throw strikes. Christian McLeod, looking back at his performance last week, he's going to be our game one guy. What a great matchup this could be. Oltoff, the right-hander for Tulane. McLeod, the left-hander for us. I thought Christian was pretty good last week. The only time Christian in his career has gotten in trouble is when he throws a lot of pitches early in games, and that was kind of the thing that got maybe Dakota Hudson early in that last season, and he got better as the season went on of kind of neutralizing pitch counts in the first three innings to allow you to pitch in innings six, seven, and eight, or just six and seven. So McLeod this week, what are you looking for out of Christian? I'd like to see him be able to go a little bit deeper in the ball game, and how do you do that? Number one, Coaching staff's just got to be willing to stretch him out a little bit more. But number two, I think you're exactly right. We even talked about this with Ethan Small, right? That was yep. when he was so good, he was dominating hitters. But the problem was he was running up pitch counts doing it. You know, McLeod, it's very strange. We kind of live in this world where we love the strikeout as a, for pitchers and we get impressed by guys who run up their numbers. I'll take some weak ground balls to second. And how do you do that? You don't try to nibble at corners. You just kind of go at guys. That was the thing about Ethan Small. You know, he was trying to nibble with breaking pitches outside. And finally, he was like, hey, I'm just going to feed it up here. And I'm not going to get, you know, I'm not going to feed it right down the middle of the pipe. But I am not going to try to be as fine and meticulous and not go after that strikeout. So that's going to be a big key. Okay, at the plate. Cameron James kind of came out of that slump in the Wednesday game against Jackson State. You kind of hope that kind of contributes to him getting a little bit more confidence here on the weekend. You know, Rowdy Jordan went 0 for 5 in that game. But I was talking to Coach Polk yesterday, and he was t- he said, hey, when you're look- looking at 90, 94, 95 all weekend, and then you come back and Gallatus is owning the zone at, 80, at 87, it's kind of tough to get that timing back. But you're going to get back in the mid-90s this weekend. Yeah, you're going to speed the bats back up. And you can see that phenomenon happen all the way down into youth baseball. How many times do you go watch a 12-year-old tournament? Guys who are used to facing the really hard throwers. Oh, yes, the soft guys. If you're coaching against one of those teams, find your slowest pitcher and put them on the mound, and it destroys them. And it happens all the way up. It's the reason that a lot of guys have been able to have careers. It's the reason I would suggest that if you go back a couple years ago when Ole Miss had trouble in the regional, was it Tennessee Tech that came in? They were throwing under bat speed. That you know you had seen all year long, 92, 93, 92, 93, and all of a sudden you're seeing 86, 87. It changes things. All right, we've got all three this weekend on the SEC Plus. Hey, we kind of thought this, and we didn't know for sure. We really got the show going last year after the season was over, and you kind of wondered when you got the broadcasting, just the the banner that people would have with you. During a broadcast, we had a lot of people tweeting at us the other night. It was pretty cool. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was so good to be back. And that's – I said this to someone, and being back in that ballpark was really special after the year that we've had. And I just cannot wait till we can get more people in there. And here's the thing, too. John Cohen can't wait. Chris Lamonis can't wait. The things that are taking place right now, that's not a Mississippi State issue. None of us can wait till those doors are thrown right back open and we fill that place up. Absolutely. Hope to see you at the ballpark this weekend. If you can't be there, you know, sit back at home, watch me and Charlie on the tube, and uh, tweet us your thoughts during the games. 
Sometimes we'll treat you back at Bart Gregory, at Charlie Winfield. Having a lot of fun. I tell you what, it's been great start to the season. We'll be back for Sunday coffee this week as well on Sunday morning, and we'll talk about the first two games of the series and then get you ready for next week as well. So the dogs in Tulane this weekend here at Duty Noble Field should be a great three-game series if we can work around all the weather. Appreciate you guys hanging out with us for the last hour. You've been listening to Out of Left Field, presented by Farm Bureau.